Hey there, welcome back to Quick Bits. Just two topics today, but lots of information for both of them. First, the YSL Young Thug Rico trial that I covered on this week's podcast. And second, everything that we have now learned going on with the Petito Laundry civil suit down in Florida. It's quite a lot of new information and a lot of really interesting, very deeply legal concepts. I'm going to try to do that quickly. Wish me luck. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and The Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. Before we get all the way into today's episode, I just want to remind you to treat yourself to the gift of the Lawnard app. It's completely free. It's in your app store, and it will keep you in the loop with everything I am covering And sometimes the holidays pop off and I pop in extra live streams. This is going to be the best way to stay in the loop. Let's get into this Young Thug Rico trial. As I am recording this episode, it is December 8th. I covered this on the podcast, The Emily Show, this week. But today during court, one of the jurors brought to the court's attention that they had seen themselves on a live stream. This is the second time issues with cameras and the jury have come up, and the judge strongly admonished the jury about staying off of social media because that's the only way this juror would have seen themselves unless they're watching streams of the trial, which would be a tremendous issue. This trial is going on in Georgia. The original indictment charged over 55 crimes, including violations of the Racketeering and Organized Crime Act, RICO, and charging over 27 defendants. There are seven defendants, including the rapper Young Thug, on trial right now. Young Thug is charged in two of those counts. This trial took almost 11 months to select a jury because of delays, starts and stops, and how high profile this case is plus the length of the case. The prosecution's witness list has over 400 witnesses on it, but there are also seven defendants, which means every time a witness testifies, there are seven defense attorneys that can cross-examine that witness, and then there are seven defendants that will put on their own witnesses in defense. It looks like this trial is going to last over six months. So I will be touching in and out on keeping up with this trial, but so far they have already had numerous camera issues and jury issues. And I worry that with only 18 jurors, they are not going to have 12 left at the end of this very long and somewhat disjointed trial. And yes, if you've heard about this trial, one of the defense attorneys did make an anime reference in opening statement, though the reference was a good argument. You're not supposed to make arguments in opening statement, but hey, it was an interesting analogy. Nonetheless, the prosecution had burden shifted in the opening argument, meaning they were indicating to the jury that the defense needed to somehow prove they didn't do this, which is completely improper and not allowed. The judge had to admonish the jury in opening, and it's been more of the same since then. So let me know if you're interested in keeping up with this trial. But if you want a breakdown of what the RICO law is, what the conspiracy to violate that statute is, what the predicate acts are and the overt acts and what they're trying to prove, that's all in the Emily show this week. But it is going to be a lengthy and wild trial if it's not a mistrial. Yikes. And talking about another case coming up for trial, the Petito Laundry case. And you might remember, this is Gabby Petito's parents suing Brian Laundry's parents. Gabby Petito had gone missing in 2021. It was later determined that her fiance at the time, Brian Laundry, had killed her. He left a 
note and a confession before he took his own life in Florida. So both of them are deceased, but the parents are involved in civil litigation in Florida that started back in 2022 and is going to go to trial or is supposed to go to trial in May of 2024. There have been other civil lawsuits that have been resolved in connection with this case, but the phase of the civil trial right now is discovery. They have done depositions. The Petito family is trying to force Stephen Bertolino, the laundry family attorney and co-defendant in the civil case, to give another or more extensive deposition and answer questions that Bertolino is asserting are protected by attorney-client privilege as to conversations between the attorney and Brian Laundry. However, both the laundry parents waived attorney-client privilege and gave additional information previously suspected but unverified in their depositions that Brian Laundry had called them frantically saying that Gabby was gone and he needed an attorney. Subsequently, Bertolino helped them secure a criminal defense attorney in Wyoming and even contacted the public defender's office in the jurisdiction where Gabby Petito's body was later found. So it seems very clear that Brian Laundrie had at least communicated to his parents enough about what happened to Gabby Petito that they spent over $25,000 to secure a retainer for a criminal defense attorney in Wyoming before he ever traveled back with her van to Florida. This has now been incorporated into a third amended complaint before this case goes to summary judgment motions, which are motions that allow the court to determine whether or not the case can go forward to trial based on the facts and merits of the case, based on what the evidence in the case will show, not based on the pleadings. So we will see what happens at summary judgment motions. This is coming back for a hearing later on in December that I'm going to cover live regarding those attorney-client statements. This lawsuit, this civil lawsuit, is over intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress. Did things that Stephen Bertolino say on behalf of his clients, Christopher and Roberta Laundrie, cause emotional distress to the Petitos? And was it intended or reckless that that statement was made and the things that were said in it? It's a very unusual use of intentional infliction of emotional distress but proving that the Laundries knew that Gabby Petito was deceased at the time that the statement was made goes a long way for the Petitos to prove their case. I don't know if this case will see trial or if it will settle after those summary judgment motions are ruled on, but it still is surprising to many in the legal field that this survived the motion to dismiss. But the law in Florida and the case law in Florida allows for a broader reading of grieving parents. There is specific case law about the vulnerability of times of tragedy that allows this lawsuit to start to move forward. But we will see what happens at summary judgment if the statement itself that they hope Gabby is reunited with her family is extreme and outrageous. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the court decides or whether the court says, you know what, there's enough legally here for a jury to decide this matter. And a jury really needs to decide whether or not this statement made by the attorney on behalf of the parents is in fact an extreme and outrageous statement that is foreseeable to cause this um, emotional distress and, and severe emotional distress to the parents of a child who is missing. But knowing that the laundries were aware that Gabby Petito was deceased and where her body was when that statement was made goes a long way towards making this case and is quite interesting. They've already turned over their witness list and they are continuing to move through discovery. I don't know if they're going to get any more information from Stephen Bertolino and his conversations with Brian Laundrie because that attorney-client privilege 
extends beyond somebody being deceased. So I don't think the court is going to force Stephen Bertolino to disclose the contents of conversations with Bryant Laundry, even though the Petitos are arguing that his confession note opens up the door for that inquiry. And we went over that note as well on the live stream on Thursday. I'm going to keep covering this civil case in Florida. It will be interesting to see the more in-depth discussion of attorney-client privilege and this attorney being sued for statements he made on behalf of his clients. And we will see where this goes. The number one question I received about this is how are the Laundry parents not in custody? And I went through the timing of what they were told by Brian Laundry, their actions, and there was nothing publicly facing that showed that they aided and abetted or obstructed justice in a way that would render their prosecution and arrest. This is proceeding as a civil case only. If that evidence existed, I'm sure that the authorities in Florida would have pursued that. They didn't. They closed the case. So we went through the law on aiding and abetting in that live stream to help answer some of those questions, because this is a case where there is a lot of frustration over the behavior of the laundries and the perception that that behavior might somehow be illegal. And the conversation between moral and ethical behavior and legal and illegal was a lot of the conversation in that live stream. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being honored. And I will see you in the next one. You can stay up to date with everything I'm covering on our free iOS and Android app at lawnerdapp.com or search your app store for Lawnerd. And you can also follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. Remember, I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I recap all of that for you in quick bits on Monday. And of course, The Emily Show drops on Wednesdays. Thanks for being a Lawnerd.